The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball and Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus coming at you on a Friday early afternoon after the Clippers knock off the Suns in Game 3 at Staples Center. Got a chance to be there live. It was very exciting. A good atmosphere. One of the better atmospheres that I've seen at Staples Center. And to break the game down with me, you've seen him at Clutch Points. The king of all the fancy graphics. I mean, they've got some of the best graphics you could ever imagine it's Tomara Zarli. Tomara, what's up, man? Thank you for having me. That's, that's a very um, generous title. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Brandon. How you doing? I'm doing all right. So let's talk about last night. It seems like the Clippers have a thing now where they're deciding to go down 0-2 and then actually make some adjustments <laughs> and then win games. It's one of the more frustrating things um, just to watch as a fan because, of course, game two, I mean, they didn't deserve to win but they should have won. And Mm -hmm. then to lose that game, you were hoping to get a response and you didn't really get one in the first half. I mean, the Clippers were trailing. They weren't hitting shots, ended up missing 13 straight threes, but the defense was there. And that's kind of where I want to start. You would think with a team that has all these three point shooters and is so good at just making threes. They're the best and best three point shooting team in the NBA that offense would be the calling card, but ever since we've seen Pat Beverly in the lineup and Zoo in the lineup, what are your thoughts on this D? Because it really seems like this defense, if it keeps up, is something that could very well get the Clippers to the NBA Finals. Yeah, I mean, this it's kind of just been a by-committee and by-opponent by approach over the last three series. I mean, we saw Patrick Beverly and Ibiza Zubats basically get benched from games uh, three through seven against the Mavericks. They didn't really have a role in that series. Um, you know, Zoo didn't play much against Gobert and the Jazz. Pat Beverly really had a, big, a bit of a role um, in, in the latter parts of that series against Donovan Mitchell. Um, and then this series, now we're seeing Zoo start again, be, be a very, very big piece for them. Patrick Beverly, you know, doing what he does, especially on Devin Booker. Um I, I think the defense is obviously what's going to get it done. Um, this team is, is defensively capable of, of beating the Phoenix Suns. Um, I think, you know, obviously not having Kawhi, um, that's probably the worst part of not having him for your small ball lineup. Um, like, as in, of all the guys you miss, he's probably the most important one because of what he offers you, um, you know, lengthwise, just, just IQ-wise. Um, so... I'm actually a bit surprised that they've been able to hold the fort down without him, uh, especially with some of the smaller lineups. They've really just um, been able to use uh, Marcus at the five a bit, Nico at the five a bit without Kawhi, play Terrence in Kawhi's place. Um, and then Zeus just done a really good job um, holding down the fort inside against DeAndre Ayton, who's a very talented big man. Um, you know, I, I think I said it after the first two series, and I kind of thought, I was hoping it wouldn't be the case for this series, but it ended up being the case where. Uh, this team just kind of needs like a game or a game and a half to kind of figure out their opponents. Um, you, you saw it during the Mavs series, the first game they, they lost by ten. The second one, they were there and just lost at the end. After you know, I think Terrence had a shot to make it, or whatever. Um, Jazz series, they lost the first two games, uh, but they had a chance in the second game. Uh, I think they took the lead in that game by two with about five minutes left. So 
Uh, and now we saw it here, where, again, they lost the first game of the Suns. They took the lead late in, in game two, and um, an unfortunate you know, series of events ended up giving them a loss. But they just figured, they appeared to figure it out. And so, um, for whatever reason, it takes them about a game and a half to two games to figure the opponents out, and then they just pick back up in game three. So, uh, I, I kind of expected it, despite the game two loss. I think it was a very, very tough way to go out. I mean, I was there. Um, a couple of my buddies were there. Um, that, that was a tough way to lose. I think, I think a lot of the Clippers were shocked uh, in the moment. And then you, you just got to you know pick yourself back up and go, hey, it's just one game. They did what they're supposed to do, protect home court. And, and now it's our turn to go back and protect our home court. So um, I think the Clippers responded very well. I think defensively, starting T-Man um, and Patrick Beverly together yeah. to, to defend CP3 and Devin Booker. This is actually a lineup I thought they should have used. Uh, I guess they only used it because Marcus was, was injured and wasn't planning to play at first. Uh, but but putting T-Man on CP3 and putting Pat Bev on Devin Booker allows Paul George to take some defensive possessions off. He doesn't have to, to work as hard guarding those guys and then have to come down the other end and try to create for them. Uh, we, we saw him play you know, 43 second-half minutes, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, Sorry, all the second-half minutes and 43 total. Yeah. Um, so he really just had a huge workload. So. Um, yeah, I, I I think you can expect this this Terrence Mann lineup to sort of go into Game Four um, in in place of Marcus Morris. I think Marcus Morris coming off the bench also allows them to play a uh, small ball five as opposed to um, to Marcus Cousins. We saw Cousins play the first two games and they were kind of getting beat up in his minutes. And I think with Marcus coming off the bench, he can sort of play the the five and it can it can create some some switching that they need. Um, Especially on the perimeter, where, where I think the Clippers kind of got beat. So yeah, it's interesting uh, because I'm interested to see how they go from there. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because you bring up obviously the Kawhi injury, and you lose Kawhi, and you would think, all right, the Clippers are probably in trouble. And, and then, of course, Marcus Morris now is dealing with his injury, and you lose a guy like Kawhi, and then you lose a guy like Marcus Morris, who has been so big um, when you have that small ball lineup, like you mentioned, and you would think, well, the Clippers probably be in trouble, but. I really still feel like the Clippers are the better team in this series, which is odd when you have Chris Paul back with the Suns. The Suns are fully healthy except for Payne. And if he's out, I think that's way larger than people think. I I think Payne is actually a bigger mismatch than CP at this point because CP can't really get by anybody while Payne was getting by the entire Clippers defense whenever he wanted. And so him being out for that second half was massive. And we'll talk about that. But I do want to talk about what you mentioned with Terrence Mann coming into the starting lineup for Marcus Morris. So now you have Morris, who's hurt, but still trying to play. You have Kawhi, who's out. And then you have Batum, who it seems like is fatigued. And so they're limiting his minutes now. He only played 15 minutes last night. So you're relying on a very short rotation and you brought in Rondo yesterday, and finally, Ty Lu realized that Rondo doesn't have a place in this series. I mean, he was a minus eight in his eight minutes in between his fancy behind-the-back pass that hit off his leg. It, it just another turnover that he had right before that, it, It's where he wasn't even looking for the ball. It's just sloppy. And so with Terrence Mann, I got to tell you, watching him yesterday in person, he stayed in front of Chris Paul the entire time. It really seems like the Clippers now have two guys in Mann and Beverly, and you brought it up, that can really lock up the opposing guards on the other team. 
And that is the reason why I think the Clippers have a very good shot to win this series. Because if you slow down CP and you slow down Booker, which Beverly and Mann are very capable of doing, I'm not sure if Phoenix can run their offense and rely completely on Crowder and Bridges and Johnson. And with Zoo doing a good job on Ayton, I just don't know where their offense is going to come from. And they only scored 92 points yesterday. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I think we'd be a little, you know, foolish to assume that, that Chris Paul and Devin Booker shoot this poorly For sure. together in the same game again. Uh, I just don't think that happens. No, but they were getting uh, difficult shots for sure. I mean, it's not like they were making, they're not missing a lot of easy shots, you know? It seemed like a lot of their shots right. were difficult. Yeah, so ever since game game one ended, I think I think De- the looks that Devin Booker has gotten have certainly been a lot tougher. I, I will say that. He hasn't gotten the same looks, especially in the mid-range, that they were giving him in the first game. Uh, that being said, I, I still think he missed some makeable shots. I still think that... Um, you know, Chris Paul in his first game back, I think some some rust was to be expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was dealing with, with a minor hand thing where he kept checking it out, so I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I, I kind of joked that um, on Twitter a couple days ago where I said um, campaign, like maybe Chris Paul coming back is a good thing because the Clippers always deal with, always always struggle to deal with, with fast, shifty guards. Yeah. And campaign really showed that he, he, he obliterated them. He, he said campaign eviscerated us. I think that was what Ty Lue said. And so um, I, I kind of was joking about that. But, but at the same time, you could see the pace slow down for the Suns. They weren't really moving it as fast offensively. They didn't have as many transition opportunities. Uh, they didn't have, you know, Chris Paul wasn't getting to the basket um, to the level that the camp, campaign was in the first two games. So. Yeah. I do agree with you that I think he, he is a big loss for them in campaign if he isn't able to, to play in a game or two moving forward. But, um, look, I, I think I think really the, the the defensive side of it is you, you, you have Paul George there if you want to throw at Devin Booker and Chris Paul a couple possessions. I think we saw them uh, do that. I think Terrence Mann has shown that he's fully capable of, of making it tough on CP. Um, make you know Pat Bev has shown that he can, he can slow down Devin Booker. But I think the Suns obviously – see that and are going to try to exploit some more of the the mismatches like 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 Mitchell did and like Doncic did where maybe they'll go after Reggie Jackson more. I think Chris Paul did that a couple times last game. I think um Devin Booker might might look to do it a few times, maybe get Evita uh, Zubats on him. Um I think in the second half last night they sort of shut down the the, the roll pass to DeAndre Ayton. Like he didn't really get as many catches and, and, and touches in the paint off of rolls and buckets. I think he had like one in the fourth quarter. Um, but they really did a good job of, 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 I guess, not allowing that pass, which which sort of forced, like you said, Crowder, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, those guys to, to sort of make their outside shots, which I thought, you know, they contested well, but they also missed a couple makeable ones. So um, that's kind of why I'm not sure if, if, if this poor level of shooting is sustainable. Like, I, th- I think the Clippers can defend really well and get, get another, you know, good defensive game. Um, but I don't know if they can do it to this level is what I'm saying. You know, I think CP and, and Devin Booker were combined like 0 of 9 in the first quarter. It's their worst start ever as, as teammates. So yeah. um, I'd just be curious to see how, how sustainable it is and, and how the how the Suns adjust to having T-Man and Patrick Beverly on, on, on um, Chris Paul and Devin Booker respectively. So uh, I, I think the defense with T-Man in the lineup is very good. I think they should really continue that. I thought that before – Game three, and I think they really should continue it in the game four. Um, like I mentioned earlier, having Marcus come off the bench as a small ball five, especially since he's not really moving as well, his lateral quickness and his speed aren't really there. Um, 
it, it allows you to switch a bit more defensively, not have to worry about him as much. And um, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at with that. But I, I really want to see how, how the how the Suns adjust to to Terrence Mann in the starting lineup and sort of bottling up CP and then Pat Bev doing his work on Devin Booker. Yeah, I mean, you look at CP and Booker, they combine to go 10 of 40 from the field. They're, they're obviously not going to continue to do that. But the one thing that I really noticed is that when Kennard was on CP, CP wasn't doing anything. And, and give credit to Kennard, obviously, but he's not the best defender in the world. So it kind of shows you where Chris Paul is right now. I don't know if that's his fitness or what, but he just could not get past Kennard. And then Zoo did a great job on him as well. Whenever Zoo came out to contest a shot because CP tried to hunt that out, I mean, Zoo was putting his hand up and he was making it a very difficult shot whenever CP was putting something up on the perimeter. So I, I really think Zoo and Kennard did a nice job, but I think I'm more focused there on what Chris Paul is doing. And, and that's why I really yeah. emphasize the, the campaign thing because it, it's odd when you bring back Chris Paul, and obviously that means less campaign, that it would hurt the Suns. It's strange to say that, but you did say that before the series, I mean, before uh, game three started, that campaign probably is going to give the Clippers a more of a hard time than a guy like Chris Paul. And, and no doubt, Chris Paul is going to find his elbow jumper. He's going to end up getting his shots up and he's going to start making them. But it just seems like for the defense the Clippers are playing and the guys that are currently being def- um, doing the defense on the perimeter, that it does help to have a guy like Paul instead of a guy like Payne. So we'll see how it goes. But with Terrence Mann, I, I got to tell you something that's really frustrating, and I'm curious where you lie on this. Everybody knows that Rondo doesn't work in this series. Everybody knew after game <laughs> one when Cousins was, he had obviously his great start where he had like 11 points. And we knew that meant that they're going to play him way too much. And they did. Finally, Ty Lue decides to bench Cousins yesterday. He decides to bench Rondo in the second half. Why is it taking Ty Lue so long to realize something that we all know? Because Ty Lue has been unbelievable. His adjustments have been tremendous the entire postseason. And he's done a great job coaching this entire year. But it's just these two things where he doesn't play Terrence Mann enough, despite the fact that Mann fully should be getting starters minutes. He should be getting 30 to 35 minutes every single night and not playing Rondo and Cousins, but it takes him until the second half of game three to realize this stuff. Do you understand it? Because I don't. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not, it's not, I think a lot of us understand that Rondo should not be playing as many minutes as he was. Well, I'll start with DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah. Uh, DeMarcus, obviously, I think guys are winded. Guys, if you, if you saw the first couple of games, their legs haven't really been there at least right. to start games. And I think if you look at their schedule over the last month, it's literally been a checkerboard. Where For sure. Every other day, including travel, including, you know, there's just there's just not a lot of rest there. And I think Ty Lue's just been trying to steal rest for guys. Uh, not having Ibaka really, really hurts in this series, too. Um, I think DeMarcus was, was, I think they just hoped to provide a bit of an offensive punch for the, for the team. Um, and if you notice, those came in the minutes with PG on the bench. Um because they, they really didn't have a, a, a creator without PG on the court. And I think that that's, that's just why Rondo has played it more. Because if you notice some of the minutes that Rondo plays, they're not really with PG. They're, they're on his own where he's sort of playing. I saw someone on Twitter call him sort of a traffic cop where he's just out there t- telling people where to go and trying to run the offense from there. 
it's not ideal. It's not ideal at all. It hasn't been pretty. I, I don't. I think the minutes almost cost them game three yesterday. Uh, but at the same time, the alternative is just making PG play all 48 minutes. That's really the only reason that Ty Lue is playing Rajon Rondo out there is because PG needs a breather. And if you notice, I think as soon as Rajon Rondo checked out, uh, PG checked back in. So I think um, why not it, stagger strictly, Reggie? Strictly just play, why not hmm? stagger Reggie Jackson and Paul George in that in that case? Then so they tried to do that yesterday, and they played Reggie Jackson with Rajon Rondo, and the Suns still made the run. They yeah. still got up about five or six after the Clippers were up. I believe it was like three or four yeah. um, midway through the second quarter. So it, it's I think he's just trying to find a, a lineup without um, Paul George to sort of be able to hold the four down at least for a few minutes. Because PG played the entire second half, and it's not a surprise that Rajon Rondo didn't play at all. It's because PG played the entire second half. And I think that's really just been the only reason to play Rondo. It's 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 tough. It, it hasn't been pretty. I, I get it. But I also under, understand Tyler's mindset. I just um, At this point, it just seems like Rondo really isn't the answer. Um, he, he, he Like I said, just plays too much traffic cop. I think tries to get a little too fancy with it. Um, I think they just got to find the lineup that works with Rondo out there, and it probably needs another ball handler like a Terrence Mann and a and a Reggie Jackson. I think that 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 something that could work, um, but again, it's it's just all of his minutes are usually brutal. So um, it's tough. I think a lot of that has to do with the lineups he plays. Yeah. But I think they really just try to steal a rest for Paul George and. It's really as simple as that. Yeah, and he needs to get rest. I mean, there's no doubt about it because he has looked very tired over the last couple of games. And understandably mm-hmm. so, man. He's played a ton of minutes. I think he leads the playoffs in minutes played by a very large margin. So it's understandable. And you mentioned what can they do with PG on the bench, and that's what they bring in Rondo. So you bring in, let's say, because Luke Kennard, they've said that he can handle the ball as well. So Kennard and Reggie Jackson. But then with that duo then you're hurting defensively. So you wonder if maybe you have a Kennard, a Jackson, and maybe a Pat Bev on the floor together. So Pat Bev can try and help. And same with Zoo, perhaps. You put Bev and Zoo together with those two guys and maybe a guy like Batum who can play good defense as well. Because you, you got to find a lineup, and you're absolutely right. You, f- you have to figure something out where... PG is able to get some time off because you mentioned he didn't sit the entire second half. I was wondering if he was going to get a couple of minutes to start off the fourth quarter to maybe get a breather, but they didn't. They didn't give him that rest. Obviously, Ty Lue knew he couldn't afford losing this game, and so he didn't sit Paul George. You just wonder if the Clippers are able to find the time in game four to give him a decent stretch of rest because I think he needs to rest in both the first half and the second half. And it did help yesterday that there were a lot of timeouts called that were (laughs) able to give him some breathers, which was extremely helpful. But they got to figure something out, Tomer, because you can't keep running him into the ground because if you do, I understand you got to play him a lot of minutes because you got to get to the finals. But if you continue to play him this amount of minutes, you get to the NBA finals. And if Kawhi's not back... You're not winning the finals with, with a guy like PG who's running on basically a half of two legs, you know? Well, well, my, my counter to, to the lineup that you suggested earlier is uh, Devin Booker's going to play his 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I think the Clippers are trying to match Pat Bev's minutes up with Devin Booker. So you can't play Pat Bev in the minutes that he, Devin Booker's not on the floor because you're just going to unnecessarily gas him out. So I think I think they're really just trying to save Pat Bev for Devin Booker. Um it, 
just just to have a guy out there. I don't think they want anyone else defending Devin Booker. I think Pat Bev's done a great job. I think he's really just gotten into his skin and, and, and annoyed the hell out of him. Yeah. Um, so I, I just, while, while I understand the lineup that you mentioned right now, I just think that if Devin Booker's not on the floor, it's kind of tough to, 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 to throw Pat Bev out there because then Pat Bev might end up playing about, what, 45, 46 minutes if he's playing some non-Booker minutes as well. Well, he only played 27 uh, last night, Tomer. I mean, th- there was a long stretch. He checked out with, I believe, five minutes left in the first quarter yesterday. Um, and obviously, he tried to pump up the crowd. And I think he did it in the third as well. And he sat for a decent stretch. So he certainly is not playing as many minutes as he, he's capable of doing. He played 27 yesterday. And Booker mm-hmm. played 40. So there's certainly some room there, to, I would think. Yeah, yeah, it's tough because because like while Pat Bev is great, I, I do think he can play more minutes in twenty seven. Um, I just worry about the injury factor with him. You know, yeah. he's kind of been a guy who's, who's been prone to injuries. Good point. Wear, wear and tear. So, like, I, I understand why they don't play him more, and I understand, and I really would like to see him play more. But it's just a balance. Like they have their sports their sports science team, which tells them, "Hey, Ty, you probably want to sit him out a couple minutes in this first half if you want to play in the entire second half or stuff like that." So. Um, it's tough. I get what you're saying, and I think he could play more, but you never know. Are those extra minutes maybe worth a potential hamstring pull, groin pull, something minor like that, something that could be, you know, a couple games? It's just, it's just tough. I think that they really have a tough, tough decision on their hands with only one day off between games for a while. It's, um, it's not ideal, but they just, I think it's just a by committee approach where they really have to figure out everyone. They have to give everyone some minutes. Uh, you know, Luke played 21. I think he can play some more, yeah. like you mentioned, uh, ball handling duties. Nick Batum played 15. I think he's really just been just been gassed. Uh, I think it really took a lot out of him to play small ball five and then sort of bang with some of the bigs in the previous series. Um, Marcus Morris obviously is not right. Only played 24 minutes. So again, it's just it's just a by committee approach. I, I actually would expect maybe Amir Coffey to play some minutes um, in in the place of Rajon Rondo. Not as a point guard, but maybe as another ball handler out there mm-hmm. um, in, in those minutes. And, and the guy who can space the floor out as well. Because it really just comes down to just figuring out what works and throwing guys out there and hoping that it kind of works if, if you're Ty Lue. It's, it's not a great situation to be in. Yeah, I saw Justin Wilson tweet that yesterday too, that Amir Coffey possibly could have a place in this series, which would be interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Joey Lynn tweeted yesterday, Devin Booker, when Pat Beverly is on the floor this series – 66 minutes, 10 for 32, which is 31% from the field, 10 turnovers in 66 minutes, which is basically a turnover every six and a half minutes and a minus 12 plus minus. So Pat Bev, we've been talking about him. He really has done a nice job on Booker and clearly Booker was rattled yesterday. I mean, he was getting pissed off at, uh, at Pat Bev and they got double technicals, I believe. So that's been an impact as well. And the other one has been Zoo. And Justin tweeted earlier today, Justin Russo, fly by night on Twitter, and he tweeted with Zubots on the floor and Aiton on the floor. The Clippers are a plus 30 in 80 minutes. With Zubots on and Aiton off, it's a plus two for Phoenix, but that's a small sample size of five minutes. Zubots off and Aiton on, Phoenix is plus two. That's 27 minutes. And Zubots off and Aiton off, Phoenix is a plus 19. So oddly... Phoenix has actually been better with Aiton off the floor and Zubots off the floor. And obviously the Clippers are better with Zubots on and Aiton on. The eye test doesn't really show that, does it? Because it seems like Aiton's having a really nice series. Of course, the Zubots side, the eye test definitely 
I mean, you saw that yesterday, how good Zoo was yesterday. But oddly, Phoenix seems to be doing better with Aiton off the floor as long as Zoo is off the floor. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think those stats also include games one and two. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it's the whole series. Yeah, so it's those minutes came with DeMarcus on the floor and Rajon Rondo on the floor. That's fair. And I think campaign uh, would check out early in the first I might be wrong about this, and come back early in the second quarter. Mm-hmm. And so he, he especially in game two, was just, he just got whatever he wanted. Like, I think everyone knows that he wants to go left, and he was still just able to get to, to his left hand. Um, so I think campaign has to do a bit with that. Uh, campaign and, and, sorry, excuse me, Cam Johnson and Dario Saric really um, were able to score off the bench in game two, which, which uh, for that second unit was huge without, without Zoo on the floor. Um, yeah, I, I think it just it just goes it just comes down to um, that that bench lineup w- w- without Aiton. Um, you know, obviously Zoo is going to match it with Aiton. I think they want to try and try to match his minutes because I think as soon as Aiton checked in in that fourth quarter yesterday, the Suns made a mini run and then they threw Zoo back in there and they sort of stopped it. Yeah, that's when Reggie so, Jackson hit those two huge shots. I think it was. Yeah, so I I think it, it, it it's it's really a, a matchup thing on the second unit where. This is why I think Marcus Morris would work with that second unit because Dario Saric is not going to pound the ball inside and try to score on you. I mean, yeah. if he does, that's your ideal offense if you're the Clippers. Like, all right, if Dario Saric is going to beat us, Dario Saric is going to beat us. Um, but you don't want campaign getting open looks. You don't want Cam Johnson getting open looks. You don't want those guys getting to going. Um, so I think the, the key is, is, that, is that second unit lineup, as we talked about the last couple of minutes, without Rondo, without Cousins, um, manufacturing a lineup with with maybe Marcus at the five, Nico at the four, uh, m- maybe throw a mere coffee in there, like we said. Um, try to get Reggie Jackson in with that second unit. Um, just, it's it's. I think it just comes down to that lineup because the Suns starters, as you mentioned, like when it, when when Zoo is on, the, the Clippers have won that battle. They, they've been able to to defend well. They've been able to score well. Um, it, it's just that second unit lineup with when when Aiton's not out there, Zoo's not out there. That's um, it's a bit tough for the Clippers to figure out. So, but then again, I think they have sort of figured something out. Where, um, like I said, it takes them a game or two to sort of understand how the Suns want to play. Uh, I think the trickiest part, though, about this series is that Chris Paul didn't play in the first two games. Yeah. So, like, you can see how much of the Suns were the Suns without CP, which is kind of why I thought losing Game Two was even worse because now they get Chris Paul back. Yeah. And it, how does it change for them from there? Um, you know, thankfully Chris Paul had a bad shooting game. They defended him well. Um, I hope campaign is okay, but him going down really, really changed it for the Suns. So, um, yeah, I, I, again, if campaign doesn't play in game four, I mean, knock on wood, but that changes again for, for the, for the Clippers. Now, how do they defend that second unit where each one more is now the, the sort of de facto point guard for them? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just, it's just a lot of different lineups and adjustments here. And, uh, the injuries have kind of hurt and helped in, in a weird way. And, it's, it's, it's a fun series. This is a fun series. I wish both teams were healthy because I think the Clippers were the better team if they're healthy. Um, uh, clear cut. But <laughs> it's, just, it's just been a fun sort of stressful series because, uh, yeah, like I said, Chris Paul coming back really just put a wrench in it. Like, all right, now how do the Clippers adjust? In my opinion, anyways. Like, it, it just came off like how do the Clippers react to Chris Paul making every mid-range shot and, and setting up his teammates. And then thankfully he didn't make all his mid-range shots. Uh, but I think at some point, I mean, CP's, I call him the mid-range god because he's been the most efficient mid-range shooter for the last 10 years, I want to say. Yeah. So 
I just I'm just curious to see what, what they do if he starts to get going a couple times like he did in that Nugget series. Um, yeah. So we'll talk more about this series, but in just a sec, I, I got to tell you guys about our friends over at mybookie.ag. Ever since I started this podcast, people are always asking me where I'm betting, who I'm betting for, and I tell them, you know what? I, I don't waste my time. I, I am going to mybookie.ag. The rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. The only place I trust to handle my NBA playoff bets, my NHL playoff bets, my Premier League bets, my Euro Cup bets. It, it's all there. Wimbledon, they have every sport you can think of. They've also got casino games like Blackjack. They have contests with Blackjack. It, it's all there. Simple. Sign up, enter the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched halfway up to 1000 bucks. Head over to my bookie if you want a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. And if you need a little bit of help, hit up the guys in the HOOPBALL gaming department. Devin does a great job heading up that department, and they can give you some tips with that wager pass as well so bet with the best bet with my bookie you want to hear something funny dario i'm um, dario i was about to call you dario tomer you want to hear something funny about Dar- <laughs> about dario sarich mr dario was arley um do, do, do you know what dario sarich's plus minus was yesterday yesterday if you had to guess uh, uh if i had to guess i, I think it was So the Clippers, the Clippers won by fourteen. Plus five. Sarge was a plus eleven. Sarge was a plus eleven, and the Clippers won by fourteen points, which is just absolutely nuts. And it's funny because you bring up Sarge and the small ball, and Cousins did a great job pounding in against Sarge in the first couple games. But it's it's an odd stat. It's more so I'm bringing it up because it kind of shows how bad the Suns were with Aiton on the floor. Because Aiton was a minus twenty five in that game Jeez. last night, yeah, and the Clippers won that one by fourteen. So it, it's odd because Aiton, I thought, has had a really nice playoffs and, frankly, a nice series as well. He was nine of thirteen yesterday, eighteen points, nine rebounds, two block shots. But Zoo matched him yesterday. I mean, with that fifteen and sixteen, that first half double double, two block shots. Zoo was contesting on the perimeter. He was getting a couple of blocks on floaters when people would get by. Um, I thought Zoo did a nice job defensively yesterday. He he picked his spots when he was going to come out and show and, and the drop coverage and try and figure out where he was going to be spacing-wise. So it, it was nice to see. It seems like this team has really figured out what they're doing defensively. I, I want to talk about Reggie Jackson. I did not think coming into this season that Reggie Jackson would be the Clippers' best offensive player. I, I mean, it is one of the craziest storylines about this playoffs. I know PG was fantastic yesterday, numbers-wise, 27, 15, and 8, but he has not shot the ball well now for three straight games. And, of course, he missed those two free throws at the end of Game 2. And that would be a real bummer, by the way, if, if Game 2 is the reason why the Clippers don't make it to the finals with those free throws. But with Reggie Jackson, Tomer, it, it's crazy because whenever the Clippers need a bailout at the end of the shot clock, it seems like Reggie Jackson has the answer almost nine out of 10 times. And whenever they need a big shot, when the other team is coming back and it happened yesterday when the Suns were within five, I believe it was after they were trailing by 19, Reggie Jackson was there to make the big shot. It's he's mentioned yesterday after the game, that the Clippers have really empowered him. What are your thoughts on this story? Because it's something that is obviously very unexpected, especially after last year, when everybody's memory is Luca hitting the three over Reggie Jackson to win the game in OT. But this is such a good story in the NBA. But of course, 
this guy may go down in Clippers history as one of their most infamous players during this playoff run. It's wild, Tomer. I mean, they call him big government for a reason. He and his bailouts are uh, always incredible. Yep, there you go. Uh, Yeah, if anyone predicted Reggie Jackson to be this good of an offensive player for this team at the start of the year, uh, I don't... I don't know what you were on. I, I need to know what you were on uh, because I don't think anyone saw this coming. Uh, no one saw This guy's a vet minimum guy who was signed. I think he was second to last or last guy signed to the roster um, in free agency, maybe before or after Nico Batum. I'm not sure about that one. But, um, yeah, no one saw this kind of thing coming from Reggie Jackson at the beginning of the year. I think everyone knows he was capable of it. And I think, um, you know, he mentioned it yesterday, but the team has really empowered him to, to go and be him. Um, but he's also, you know, Reggie's interesting because he got a really bad rap in Detroit, um, not necessarily from, from, from media members, but I guess from some fans. Um, and, you know, when, when he arrived here, I think we, we did about two interviews with him in person before, the, before, the, uh, before coronavirus hit and, and we sort of had to shut down. Um, Reggie's a really humble, down-to-earth dude who um, – He's just a great guy to talk to. He's just a great guy to be around. I can't imagine what he's like as a teammate. Just in the short time that I was around, like yesterday when we spoke to him in person for a couple a couple minutes, uh, he, he was great. He was fantastic. He joked around with us. He was, you know, he talked about how he worked on his mind for a lot of years about mental building up his mental toughness. Um, he worked on his game and, and how the team has really empowered him um, to just be him, to just go out there and be him. And I think when you have a team that that has like supreme confidence in you, win or lose, miss or make. Um, it, it, it's easy to just go out there and hoop. It, it really is. I think Ty Lue has really allowed... I think we, we've seen that from a couple players. It's T-Man, Paul George, Reggie Jackson. Um, they, they've really just... just it's, it's easy to go out there and just play ball uh, when you've got a guy like Ty Lue who's not going to get on you for this or that or you know, yank you for a turnover or a missed shot here. Um, I, think, I think we're really seeing it you know, benefit the Clippers where I, I've never seen a player more confident than Reggie. I mean, Paul George said yesterday he was turning into one of the best closers in this game, and he's not lying. I mean, Reggie Jackson has just been so clutch, so fantastic throughout the year. I mean, during, during the Jazz series, he had a couple clutch buckets. During the, the, the Mav series, I mean, the, last night, he's just been, he's just been so great. And I, again, no, no, one, no one could have seen this coming from Reggie at the start of the year. Um, I think when Ty Lue announced that he was going to go with Reggie Jackson as a starting point guard uh, against the Mavs in the playoffs, um, people were a little shocked. They were like, oh, I don't think that's the, that's the thing they want to go with. Yeah. Um, but but the, there's a reason Ty Lue is, is where he is, because he saw Reggie Jackson being a, you know, a potential um, you know, pace, well, I don't want to say pacemaker, but he creates the pace. He, he picks up the pace for them. He really allows them to, to play in transition after getting stops, where I, I don't think they really got that with, with Patrick Beverly. Um, I think Reggie really allows them to, to play in, a, in a, at a faster pace, which the Suns I don't think want to play at. I don't think the Mavs really wanted to play at that as much. Um, I think the Jazz did want to play at that as much, a bit, but really they just started to slow down, and the Clippers were able to um, you know, run them out of the building, especially in Game 6. So Reggie has been fantastic. Uh, I, I have nothing but great things to say about him and his play. Uh, my only worry is that this playoff series ends soon, and, you know, if the Clippers make it, don't make it. Uh, Reggie Jackson is a free agent next year. Yeah. And he's a guy that I would absolutely hate to lose. Like, I don't know what – said, I've said this to a couple people. I don't know what the Clippers have to do to keep Reggie and Nico Batum, but they have to do it. 
whatever it takes. Because yeah. those two have just been fantastic additions to this team. They've come up big at any moment they've needed them. Um, and, and yeah, I just I, I expect it to continue, honestly, because Reggie's just been that good. I think he's he had a Steph Curry feat the other day where I think he has like the most three 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 pointer the most games with three three pointers in a game. Yeah. Uh, in a postseason, I think is what the stat was. I think it's he has crazy. Like Seventeen of them, or eight, seventeen games, sixteen games, whatever it is. I don't remember what it is, but yeah, um, yeah, he's just been fantastic. I, I have nothing but great things to say about him. I know I'm just repeating myself at this point, but no, you're he's right. Just been fantastic. He, he's been awesome, and to it's one of those things. And I mentioned it last week on the pod that he's going to command a decent contract. And I have said before that there are bad contracts that you overpay, but this really feels like a situation that you reward the guy for what he has meant to the team over this entire season. And if it's a couple extra million... Oh, 100%. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Reggie's been amazing. Yeah. The crowd loves that guy. It's it's really... Sorry to cut you off. No, you're right. The, the crowd... I've never seen a crowd feast off of Reggie like that. Yeah, and he feasts where, off like, the crowd. He, he, he It's amazing. He gets it's pumped so up. I mean, he hits those threes and he looks straight to the crowd every single time out and he gets pumped up. And you love guys that play with that type of energy. And so there's a situation in baseball, obviously, where the Clippers, I mean, the Clippers, the Angels go and they sign Albert Pujols to this absurd contract. And it was kind of paying for the guy that St. Louis had, but you had to know that he was going to wear down and he was awful for the Angels. But this is a different situation where the contract's not going to be as long. The money's not going to be as big. You reward a guy for what he meant to your team. He's important to what Ty Lue wants to do. I understand he's getting older, but... It's one of those things where, okay, so you overpay. People thought that the Luke Kennard contract was an overpay. I thought it was, but I said you still need to realize the contract hasn't even started. So I'm willing to give him that room to get his legs underneath him because he had a leg injury that he's coming back from. And we have not seen Luke Kennard play with as much confidence than what he has during the last couple of series. So clearly Luke Kennard is a guy that very well could be an important part to what the Clippers do. And th that leads me to... A tweet that you posted yesterday. The Clippers are 9-7 and seven in the playoffs. Their point differential is 94, you tweeted. That yeah. is crazy, which means the Clippers are losing a lot of close games and they're blowing teams out in some of the other games. And, I mean, you look at some of the point margins against Dallas. They won by 10 in Game 3, 25 in Game 4, 15 in Game 7. You look at Utah. They won by 26 in Game 3, 14 in Game 4. 12 in game six. Yesterday, the Clippers won by 14 in game three. So the Clippers clearly have the ability, Tomer, to win these series, and they're making them go a little bit longer than they need to go. With all of that being said, how do you think this plays out? We're three games in. The Clippers are trailing in the series 2-1. The Clippers have a home game tomorrow where you would think they should be the favorites to win that game. Is it Clippers in six, Clippers in seven? Is it Suns in six, Suns in seven? Where are you leaning right now? Well, saying Clippers in six means they win four in a row. Which is what they did against Utah. Yeah. Um, so you're saying that basically Clippers in six means they win tomorrow. All they have to do is win one more in Phoenix, and they close it out at home in game six. So that's the roadmap to winning in six. Right now, I'm saying the Clippers win in seven. But I'm curious to see what you think. I I struggle to believe that the Clippers could win a road game, a road game seven, 
mm-hmm. without Kawhi Leonard in Phoenix. Okay. Uh, that that arena is pretty loud. They're, they're pretty they're a pretty raucous crowd there. Uh, I was at games one and two, and they're yeah. they're vicious. Uh, they get after it. Um, I, I just think that's tough. I think I think the Clippers can get it done in six. Um, does it feel funny. to you that it, it, if with all that you just said, does it feel to you that it's either Clippers in six or Suns in seven? Yeah, I kind of I'm kind of leaning along those lines. Where I mean, don't get me wrong, the Clippers could absolutely win a game seven. It's not like they can't do it. Right. I just believe it's going to be really really hard to do that. Uh, just like I thought Utah. I thought if they didn't win game six against Utah, um, it was going to be really hard to win that game seven back over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I think if, if they win if they win tomorrow, obviously they're in a great position. They're they're, they're tie series, um, and then they go to game five. That's a tough one. If if you can steal game five um, in a two two series, we know how pivotal that game is. Um, if you can steal game five, um, I I would feel really really good about the Clippers' chances uh, for game six at home with a chance to go to the finals. I think that crowd would be would would trump the 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 game six Utah crowd just because of everything that's on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's funny. You, you talked about the, the point differential thing I tweeted out yesterday. Yeah. It's like they, they lose close games, and a lot of those, they're sort of trailing from behind. And so they, they're either losing close games or they decide, hey, we're just going to blow teams out so we don't have to deal with clutch situations. Yeah. It's literally just that, where they're able to win by 7, 15, 25, 10. I um, mean, it's just... It's just it's absurd that they're only two wins above 500 and have a 94 yeah. point differential. I just when I looked that up yesterday, it was abs- I was just like, wait, am I doing this right? I had to add it up three times because I was like, there's no way that's true. And, um, and yet you're still seeing the amount of minutes that continue to get piled up on guys like Paul George. Yeah. Um, despite these big wins, I mean, they won yesterday by 14, and PG still played 43 minutes. So you really hope that at some point the Clippers can figure out a lineup where they can at least keep a lead with Paul George on the bench and, and also find a game where you can give him some rest at the end of the game. I mean, it was nice that they finally gave him that last minute and a half yesterday where the, uh, Ty Lu was able to put in his bench guys and Monty Williams did the same. I was worried for a little bit that maybe Phoenix would try and make a run at the end of the game, but it was nice to get him a breather or two. Tomer Azarly, you can follow him on Twitter, at Tomer Azarly. He does great stuff with Clutch Points and the Clutch Points app. Tomer, always a pleasure having you on the Hoopball Clippers podcast, man. Brandon, thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Tomer Azarly of Clutch Points. Always great having him on. He knows his stuff. He's had a bunch of games, and it was great seeing him in Phoenix. I didn't actually see him, but it was great to see that he was there um, and covering the game live and in person. I know he's with Farbot, Esnashari, and I think Justin Russo made it out for game one. So it's great to see these guys able to be rewarded, frankly, and get these media passes to cover their team um, for the road games. Before we say goodbye, I got to tell you about our friends over at Manscaped. Father's Day has passed, but that does not mean that you cannot go out and get the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 and the Ultra Smooth Package. The Lawnmower 4.0 and the Ultra Smooth Package is perfect for you and anybody in your life to complete your grooming game. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HoopBall20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code HoopBall20 at manscaped.com. Trust me, the Lawnmower 3.0 is tremendous. Just has that great tight trim, no nicks, no cuts, great battery life. The LED light is tremendous, so you're able to shine the light bright wherever you need to groom. Now the Lawnmower 4.0 
gives the ability to turn that LED spotlight on and off when needed. They've got that 7,000 RPM trimmer, the multi-function on-off switch can engage in a travel walk. I'm telling you, they're Stuff is tremendous. Get 20% off and free shipping. It's got HoopBall20 at Manscaped.com. All right, next up, game four. It's on Saturday. That is tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Another evening tip for the Clippers. I'm telling you, if they win this game, I like the Clippers' chances. Obviously, if they fall tomorrow down 3-1, you got to win two games in Phoenix. I think that's it. Um, I don't think you're winning that series if you lose tomorrow. So tomorrow is an absolute must-win game. Yesterday was a must-win game. The Clippers took care of business. Love to see PG, PG get off to a good start tomorrow. I think he needs to do that because, man, the legs are tired. There's no doubt about it. 9 of 26 yesterday, 3 of 11 from 3. Just doesn't have that same lift. He had a tremendous dunk, obviously, yesterday. And that great three-point shot that at half court. That was a nice momentum switcher for the Clippers. But you keep relying on guys like Reggie Jackson to bail you out. You can't do that. So you need PG to have a good game and everybody else to chip in. The Clippers have gotten a nice team effort from guys like Zoo and Bev and Mann. And, of course, Jackson. And then you have Kennard off the bench. But, too, Morris. Everyone is coming in and doing their job. Just got to keep doing that for Game 4. And we'll hope to have a podcast out on Sunday with Justin Wilson of LA Clippers Film to break down where the series is after four games. You can follow me on Twitter at BD Marcus. You can follow the Hoopball Clippers Twitter account at Hoopball Clips. Make sure rate and review the podcast if you get a moment. It'd be greatly appreciated. Until next time, I'm Brandon Marcus and go Clips. <laughs>